Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Today we continue our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. Perhaps everything I ever really needed to know I learned in seventh grade English class. Join us for the message, Going for the Gold. Good morning and welcome to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. You know, perhaps everything I ever really needed to know I learned in my seventh grade English class. And we'll be talking about that later in our message, Going for the Gold. I also want to invite any of you, if you have not done so this week, to please give an offering for the ministry of this church. You can do that through our website, tumcd.org, through our church center app, or through the old-fashioned way of mailing a check to the church, where you can see there, our, our address there on the screen. Listen now for the word of God. I'll be reading first from Matthew, the 22nd chapter, verses 34 through 40. 40. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now from Romans 13, 8 through 10. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, You shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling of the law. And finally... From Matthew 7, 12. In everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this is the law and the prophets. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. One of the most memorable teachers I ever had was my junior high English teacher, Mary Clark. For three years, she, uh, as she taught her class the intricacies of grammar, Mrs. Clark also opened up this world of literature to us, learning about plot and setting and character and theme. And I'd always loved reading up until now, but I never saw either fiction nor nonfiction the same way again after sitting through her class for three years. But for the first few weeks of the first year I was in her class, I would have sworn to you that Mrs. Clark was gonna be one of my least 
favorite teachers. Because you see, when we first walked into her classroom, she was dour and angry looking, never once cracking a smile. She spoke loudly and sharply, and if anyone dared ask a question, she looked at them with a frown and replied with a tone of voice that suggested that they had just asked a very dumb question. I remember that first day she went over to one of the chalkboards, and yes, in those days we had chalkboards, and she wanted us to write down the rules for her class. So we all got out pen and paper, but then she lifted up the map to, re to reveal there on the chalkboard just the traditional golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And she said, this is the only rule in my classroom. Follow this and you'll be okay. But that for us was scant reassurance. Because in Mrs. Clark's classroom, there was no talking and there was certainly no laughing. We sat very quietly and glumly at our desks and did our work. I was so disturbed by her demeanor that I went home and I talked to my mom about it. And I was so disappointed because I'd never had such a mean teacher before. And I was just so disappointed that I was going to have this really bad teacher all year for one of my favorite subjects. But then something very unexpected happened. Very slowly, over the course of several weeks, Mrs. Clark gradually softened. She stopped giving us that glare of death every time we dared ask a question. Her tone of voice became less sharp, and around about the third week, she smiled. She even began to say an occasional funny aside as she talked. And at first, we weren't even sure if it was okay to laugh. But as more weeks passed, however, Mrs. Clark said more and more funny things as she was teaching. And she began to smile often and warmly. And so by the end of that first six-week period, we're laughing all the time in her class. And in six weeks, Mrs. Clark went from being my least favorite teacher to my most favorite teacher. Well, later, after we had been in her class now several months, she explained to us while she was so stern there in the beginning in those first few weeks, and she had found that starting out very stern and then slowly loosening up assured that there would be few, if any, disciplinary problems in her class. And when I thought about it, I realized that she never did have any discipline problems. Even though the classroom was often loud and boisterous, Mrs. Clark was always in, con in control and she commanded her classroom. Her students not only liked her, they respected her. And when you respect the teacher that much, it ends up that the golden rule really is the only rule that you need to have in that class. And there was one particular day, though, that I'll always remember. When Mrs. Clark demonstrated the golden rule in a way that I will never forget. And it was also, by the way, the only time I ever heard a student talk back to her. You see, there was a boy in my class. I can't remember his name, but boy, I can still see his face. And I remember I did not like him. He was an angry, mean-spirited bully. And he was always getting into trouble about a lot of things. But particularly, one thing in particular he was always getting in trouble for was having his hair too long. Well, one day, however, he came in one day with a buzz haircut. Now, this was the 1970s, so buzzed hair was way out of fashion, like embarrassingly 
out of date. And that day he was angrier and meaner than he had ever been before. And we were sitting in Mrs. Clark's class when something, I don't remember exactly what, but something set him off. And the next thing, he was out of his seat. He was yelling obscenities at Mrs. Clark. Then he kicked his desk and he left the classroom slamming the door behind him. It was so loud that people up and down the hallway were looking out of their doors, windows, to see just what was going on. And the whole time Mrs. Clark stayed calm. She didn't yell back. She didn't try to prevent him from leaving the room. And we were just stunned. We had never seen anyone before or since ever be so disrespectful and insubordinate to a teacher. As the classroom door finally stopped vibrating in its frame, you could hear a pin drop. And Mrs. Clark didn't say anything for a moment, but then she spoke. And she said, I know that was hard to watch, and you're wondering why he didn't get in trouble, and you're wondering why I didn't try to prevent him from leaving the class. But you have to understand this. You don't know the kind of father he has to live with. The reason his hair is so short today is that his father got so angry last night that he pushed him to the ground and forcibly cut his hair. So today the teachers decided to cut him some slack. Now perhaps she shouldn't have shared such personal family information with a classroom of seventh graders. But for me it was this aha moment that I've obviously never forgotten. You never know what people are going through or what they have to live with. Now this boy and I never became friends and I still didn't particularly like him. But for the rest of the time that we went to school together, I had a soft spot for him because I never forgot that he had to go home to an abusive father while I got to go home to a father who was unfailingly loving and kind. And this connects to what we were talking about last week about not judging others. Remember I read from that blog, everyone around you, they're all experiencing the collateral damage of living. They're all grieving someone or something. So let's go easy and give everyone the benefit of the doubt that they're doing the best they can. And this includes remembering that it's easy to say that we would never do such and such a thing, except that we might if we were in that person's circumstances. It reminds us of the old adage to never judge a person unless you've walked a mile in their shoes. But I think the golden rule actually takes us a step beyond just not judging others. Because it takes us then into the realm of our own personal relationships with a person. Because you can either judge or refrain from judging another person from a distance. But the golden rule asks how you're actually going to treat somebody face to face and what's going to be the nature of your interaction. As most of you all know, there is a version of the golden rule to be found in just about every religion and culture in the world, and it's truly a universal concept. In the Jewish version that's found in the Talmud, a potential convert to Judaism came to the great Rabbi Hillel and asked and said that if the good rabbi could teach him the entire Torah while he stood on one foot, then he would convert to the faith. So while he stood on one foot, Rabbi Hillel replied, what is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. That is the whole Torah. 
All the rest is commentary. Go and learn it. Now, different versions of the golden rule are sometimes said to be either negative or positive versions of the rule. And I don't, I don't particularly like those designations, negative or positive, because it implies that one kind is better than the other. But they do have different emphases, so let's take a look at them. Rabbi Hillel's version would be an example of a negative formulation of the golden rule. What is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. So in other words, refrain from doing those things that you would not want others to do to you. And Jesus' version from his Sermon on the Mount would be a positive formulation. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And in this version, we don't just refrain from doing something that's hateful. We actively seek to do what we would want people to do to us. And the two formulations are like different sides of the same coin. And both versions offer us very good advice about how to love our neighbor. In the negative version of the golden rule, what is hateful to you do not do to your neighbor, we have to be self-aware enough to know what it is that we would find hateful and the awareness to realize when our actions might cross that line. And in the positive version of the golden rule, do to others as you would have them do to you, we have to be aware of the feelings and needs of others. And so this positive version requires empathy and it requires us to have this leap of imagination so that we can see the world through the eyes of other people. So you put these two versions together and we're challenged to be both self-aware and aware and empathetic to the feelings and needs of others. And being both self-aware and aware of others is what it means to be spiritually and emotionally healthy and whole. Both, in fact, are reflected in what are called the general rules of the United Methodist Church. And these are three rules that were set by John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, in the very earliest days of the Methodist societies. In fact, you may remember a book that was published back in 2007. It was a short book written by Bishop Reuben Job. It was entitled, Three Simple Rules, A Wesleyan Way of Living. And in this book, Bishop Job reinterpreted Wesley's general rules for modern Methodists. And the way that Bishop Job uh, described in the three rules are do no harm, do good, and stay in love with God. Now John Wesley's wording of that third rule was attend upon the ordinances of God, but I think Bishop Job's wording was a lot more po poetic, stay in love with God. And in fact our next sermon series which starts here in two weeks is going to be entitled How to Love God, and we're going to be exploring how to enhance our relationship with God through the framework of the five vows we take when we uh, are confirmed in church membership, prayers, presence, gift service, and witness. But the golden rule is about our love for neighbor, and it corresponds to these first two of Wesley's general rules, do no harm and do good. So by refraining from doing to others what we would find hateful, then we're seeking to do no harm. And by actively doing to others what we want them to do to us, we're seeking to do good. And so as Rabbi Hillel implied, loving our neighbor through the application of the golden rule is the whole Torah. All the rest is commentary. And Paul said something very similar in his letter to the Romans. As Connie read earlier, love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. 
All the commandments are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And I like the way the New Revised Standard Version puts that. Some other translations, um, that they put it that love is the fulfilling of the law. But another way to translate this is love is the fullness of Torah. Or love is the complete measure of Torah. And I like those two. And all of this then relates to Jesus' great teachings, uh, one of his great teachings called the greatest commandment. And so when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment of the Torah? Jesus replies with two interconnected commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Again, some translations say um, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. But the New Revised Standard used the word hang because that's actually the literal meaning of the word there. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so in my mind, I get this mental image of like a mobile, like you would hang over a baby's crib. And so all these elements of an ethical Christian life then are balanced and harmonized by the following of these two great commandments to love God and to love neighbor. And between these two great commandments, then all of the other commandments are all balanced and harmonized one with another. And some people try to kind of collapse the two commandments together to say, in essence, that we love God by loving people. And this is certainly true. But I think it's important to acknowledge these are still two different commandments, while also realizing they are ultimately inseparable. In fact, the writer of the first letter of John reminds us, those who say, I love God and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this, those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. Now, as you may recall, I am, I'm a certified spiritual director. I went and got that certification uh, later after I graduated from seminary. And I remember a very moving story that one of my instructors told the class about this interplay between the love of God and the love of neighbor. You see, my instructor in my spiritual direction program, she was a spiritual director, but she was also a psychotherapist. And so one day when she was still in training to become a therapist, she was assigned a new client who was such a challenge that my instructor did not think that she was going to be up to the task. You see, my instructor had lived a very conservative, very conventional life as a Catholic wife and mother. Her new client was a drug addict recently released from jail who with her abusive common-law husband had thrown wild drug-induced parties where the participants had freely shared their spouses with one another. Moreover, this client, new client, had just been diagnosed with breast cancer. My instructor went to her supervisor and said that she had no idea how to relate to this client and felt that she was in way over her head. But her supervisor very wisely refused to reassign the client to another therapist and told my instructor to just remember her training and deal with the most urgent problems first. So my instructor got to work 
first helping her non-insured client find free or affordable medical treatment for her breast cancer. And once her medical condition was stabilized, my instructor found her a 30-day rehab program to address the client's addiction. And after release from rehab, they worked on getting a divorce from her abusive husband, a new place to live. Next came vocational training, followed by a search for a new job for herself and her children. After a year of hard work, the client's medical condition was under control. She was free of her abusive husband. She had a new place to live. She had a new job. And she was now clean and sober. So on the one-year anniversary of her beginning of therapy, my instructor asked her client what she wanted to work on for the next year. And the client thought for a moment and responded that she wanted to have a relationship with God like she had. Now, up until now, they had never talked about God or religion or spirituality at all. And my instructor had never shared anything about her own Christian faith. So she asked in the way that therapists like to ask questions, what makes you think that I have a relationship with God? And her client replied, when I walked in here, I was unlovable. But you loved me anyway. And I think the only way that you were able to do that is that you must have a relationship with God. You see, when we love God, then we're going to find the strength and the fortitude to love our neighbor, even the ones that are unlovable. The fourth century theologian, St. Augustine, said, love God and do what you like. Now, that kind of sounds strange to our ears, just do what you like. But what I think he meant is, is if we truly love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, then the other things in life are going to fall into place. They're going to hang together. And loving our neighbor is going to become second nature to us. And so in the end, we might find that just as in Mrs. Clark's junior high English class, the golden rule is really the only rule that we need. Amen. And now let us, with the confidence that we have as the children of God, pray the prayer that our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Remember that you can always find recordings of our service on our website, tumcd.org, on our Facebook page, or an audio version on our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. Remember to keep thanking God for three things every day, and have a taco on Tuesday. And now receive this benediction. Thank you, God, for uniting us with yourself and with all people everywhere and sharing the body and blood of Christ. Now send us forth by your spirit to build and to plant and to work for the welfare of everyone around us. In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
hope you enjoyed and were blessed by today's service. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. Next Sunday, we'll conclude our sermon series based on the Sermon on the Mount found in the Gospel of Matthew. You'll find audio recordings of all our services on our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. Remember, we're now worshiping both in person in our sanctuary as well as online. God bless you in the week ahead. We'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church. Thank you.